Well, as uh, Nathaniel said, we have, the last couple of weeks, had lots of friends with us from around the world, and the last two Sundays we have been looking at the book of Ezra, which wasn't planned, but just how, or planned by the Lord. So two weeks ago, Ryan Termoisazen from Cape Town, speaking from Ezra 1, and last week, Brian, uh, Ben from Australia, speaking from Ezra 5, and uh, what those two brothers brought to us was a real kind of affirmation about building the house of God, which ties in so closely with the series we are working through at the moment, A House for My Name, where we're looking at the story of how God is wanting to dwell with his people, live with us, and that's always been the plan right from the story of God making Adam and Eve, and that's how the story continues right through to the end of the book of Revelation and the hope that we have that God dwells with us and that now God is dwelling with us by his Spirit, that when we come to Christ and made new in him, we become living stones filled with the Spirit, being built into a spiritual house. And uh, we're going to dig back into that theme this morning as we get back into our series. Uh, and we are back again into the story of the kings. Where we've got to over the last few weeks is we've seen that after the great king, King David, comes his son Solomon, who is also great, but in a different way, and not as great as David. And then after Solomon, the kingdom is divided. Solomon's son, uh, Rehoboam, ends up with just one tribe, really, the tribe of Judah. And one of Solomon's servants, Jeroboam, becomes king of the other tribes. And there's a split between what then becomes known as the kingdom of Judah, where the descendants of David are reigning, and the kingdom of Israel, or Samaria, where Jeroboam and all the kings that come after him reign. And in 722 BC, the, the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, or Samaria, fell to the Assyrians and only the tribe of Judah is left. And we get to 2 Kings chapter 17 and this verdict of where things have got to. Only the tribe of Judah was left. And even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God. They followed the practices Israel had introduced. We're left at this point in the story, disaster upon disaster. Israel's been taken captive by the Assyrians. Only Judah's left and it looks like the end is nigh for Judah as well. But it's at this point of complete disaster that we see some of the best kings since David and Solomon emerge. We get turn the page to 2 Kings chapter 18, and we think it's all going to be the end of the story, but instead there's a king called Hezekiah who appears. And Hezekiah really is a new David. He's a good king. And he, he becomes king six years before the fall of Samaria, and he is the best king since David. He tears down the false idols. He sees some expansion in the physical territory of Judah. He, he's delivered from the Assyrians rather than being captured by them as the northern tribes have been. Uh, but his story does then end on a slight down note because he welcomes officials from Babylon to come and see all that he possesses. And uh, what we're going to find out a little bit later is that those Babylonians who he thinks are coming as friends are actually spies in the camp. And in the end, the Babylonians will come and take Judah captive. Now, this story of Hezekiah is told in two different places in the Bible. It's told over three chapters in the book of 2 Kings, and it's told over four chapters in the prophecy of Isaiah. And when a story like this appears in two places and occupies such a substantial portion of Scripture... That's an indication to us that actually this is a really important moment in history and God's working in the earth. The fact that in two Old Testament books, a big chunk of those books is taken up with Hezekiah's story shows us this is important. And it's important because it's not only a story about a king, Hezekiah, 
but it's also a story about a prophet and God's word through the prophet. Now, last time we were in this series, we, three weeks ago, we were looking at the story of Jonah and the Assyrians. And in that story, we see a reluctant prophet, Jonah, going to offer God's grace to Israel's great enemies, the Assyrians. This time, there's a different prophet, the prophet Isaiah. The Assyrians are still the enemy, but in this case, God promises deliverance from enemies. God promises Hezekiah through Isaiah that he will be delivered from the Assyrians. And in the middle of this prophetic interchange between Isaiah and Hezekiah comes a prophecy which has been really central to our own personal story here at Gateway over the last 10 years or so. And it's it's uh, delivered twice, the same verses, 2 Kings 19 and Isaiah 37. Isaiah is prophesying and speaks to Hezekiah and says this, Once more, a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You're going to root down and fruit up. There are four particular prophetic images, kind of four pillars or four tent pegs, which we have particularly held on to at Gateway over the last 10, 15 years. Four four, uh, prophetic pillars which have kind of given a lot of shape to how we have sought to pursue God's call upon us and carry out his purpose amongst us in this place. The, the first of those prophetic pillars is the word gateway, the name of our church. In 2008, a group of people from what was then known as Alder Road Baptist Church went to a prayer meeting at Citygate Church in Bournemouth, and uh, Keith Hazel, a prophet from Canada, was there, and he picked out the little group from Alder Road and spoke this prophetic word over them. I believe that God recommissions you tonight to be a mighty army in the community. God wants you to touch Paul by the power of the Holy Spirit and be a gateway into the kingdom of God. And imagine that gateway word a bit like uh, the gateway arch in St. Louis, that arch which uh, represents the gateway to the west as uh, the uh, pioneers uh, went to St. Louis and then set out to uh, explore the west of the United States. And, And that word for us has been a bit like that, that we're to be that kind of gateway for people in Paul and Bournemouth to enter into the vast expanses of the kingdom of God. It was in response to that word that we changed our name was to, to Gateway. And that's been a prophetic pillar for us. The second prophetic image, the kind of pillar we've, we've built on, is around the word living water, the phrase living water. When we bought this building a number of years ago, there were a number of words which, which came to people as we were praying together about how our two congregations, the congregation meeting at Alder Road and the congregation meeting here, actually are two congregations on hills. And you don't notice it so much here on Ashley Road as we kind of think this way, but of course we are on a hill, you go a little bit that way and steep hill down and up again to Alder Road. And we had these prophetic words which came about living waters being poured out from our two congregations, which would then fill the valleys in between. And we see that, don't we, every time it rains hard. It was probably like that this morning uh, at Alder Road. Whenever it rains hard, it fills up with literal water. And we felt God speaking to us about the living water, which was to flow out of Alder Road and out of Ashley Road and flood the valleys around us. The third prophetic pillar which we've built on is a very simple one, really. It's the word more. 
And again, this was something that we felt God speak to us when we purchased this building. And as we saw the more buses going up and down Ashley Road the whole time and people getting off on them and off them, and the sense of God saying to us to believe for more and to ask for more. And that has shaped so much of how we have taught and prayed and led over these past six or seven years while we've been in this building, that, Lord, would you give us more? Would you help us to know more of your presence, know more of your reality with us? Would you cause more people to join us? Would you give us uh, more new life? Would we see more people uh, finding you because of the witness and, and ministry of this church? Lord, let us pray more and hear you more and follow you more. And then the fourth prophetic pillar which we've really built on in this season, has been this one from the prophecy of Isaiah to Hezekiah. Root and fruit. We are called to root down and to fruit up. Good fruit comes from healthy trees with healthy roots. And uh, that was a word I particularly felt the Lord speak to me 10, 12 years ago, and it was a time when I think things felt quite dry, actually, in, in, in the life of the church in some ways. And I felt God speak to me this word about how we're to root down and to fruit up the word that Hezekiah received from Isaiah. Now, it doesn't feel coincidental to me that today we are in this story of Hezekiah and Isaiah. This series was planned months ago, and when we planned and mapped it out, and today was planned to be in this passage of Scripture, we didn't know that Ryan and Ben would have been with us and brought the words they did, and all that we've heard the last couple of weeks would have would have happened. But actually, it's quite amazing that this passage of Scripture should be what we had planned for this week, that we thought we were planning it, but really the Lord is planning things. Now, we obviously are in a rebuilding phase as a church in every sense. Like everyone else, we're rebuilding as we come back out of the pandemic and adjust to life as it now is. We're also literally rebuilding with what's happening at Alder Road. And uh, it's been exciting this week to see further progress, quick progress. The, the floor has gone down, the roof is starting to go on. It's amazing to see that building taking shape. And over the past couple of weeks, we've had this fresh prophetic impetus amongst us, which feels like it's stirring things in us again. So what is it that the Lord wants us to see afresh today from this story of Hezekiah and Isaiah? In what ways do we need to root and fruit some more. What rooting and fruiting do we need to do? Now, Hezekiah was king in dangerous times. The nation of Judah was tiny, and it was surrounded by massive and competing superpowers, Egypt and the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And the people of Judah felt like a remnant, just a little bit left over at the end. And that's really what they were. The majority of God's people, the people of Israel, had already been defeated by Assyrians, taken away from their homeland. All that was left was the small tribe of Judah. But the Lord promises, through his prophet Isaiah, that they will have deep roots and healthy fruit. And I think it's easy to see some parallels with our own time. The reality is that we as Christians can feel like a remnant in our day. Clearly, We are in a minority. Most people in our nation, most people in BCP, do not believe what we believe about Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in him. Clearly, we are in a minority. The whole kind of legacy of a so-called Christian nation rapidly disappearing has no relevance or resonance with people in the way it once did. So we can feel, as the tribe of Judah did, like a remnant, like the little bit that's left over. 
And also, our political context can feel somewhat similar. Judah was surrounded by superpowers. Uh, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, we can feel that we live in a world which is kind of dominated by superpowers, the US, China, Russia, and that the fate of the nations is kind of dictated by those greater nations. And in this kind of context, where we can see the parallels between our story and Hezekiah's story, we, like Hezekiah, need to hold on to what the Lord has spoken. We need a prophetic confidence in who God is and what he is calling us to. And as Isaiah speaks to Hezekiah, that's what Hezekiah receives. He receives a prophetic confidence. He's a a king of a tiny beleaguered nation, a remnant surrounded by much greater powers. And Isaiah the prophet speaks the word of God and gives Hezekiah confidence. And the Lord delivers as he promises that he will. Hezekiah is like a new David. He brings respite, relief, rescue to the nation. Of course, the tragedy is that That rescue and relief was only temporary. The Assyrians were overcome in the reign of Hezekiah, but the Babylonians are coming down the track. Hezekiah is like David, but he's not the true final son of David. And what Isaiah does is to prophesy into this context. And so we have the four chapters in Isaiah where These events surrounding Hezekiah and the Assyrians are described and how Isaiah fortifies Hezekiah with his prophetic word and tells him what God's going to do. And then immediately after that, there are then 16 chapters in the prophecy of Isaiah which describe what the true king will do. And these chapters speak into the near future. We can see that as Isaiah is prophesying, he's, he's anticipating that Judah herself will be carried into exile in Babylon. But he also sees that Judah will return, that God will bring the exiles back to their homelands. But it's not just prophesying into that kind of near future, the next century of what's going to happen. Isaiah is clearly prophesying into the bigger picture of what God is going to do in restoring the whole earth. That it's not only the people of Judah who will return from exile to their homeland, but God is going to come back to his people and reign as king, a saviour king, a true son of David is coming who will bring permanent rescue for his people. And so let's look at some of these promises and how they speak to us today. And as you work through Isaiah 40 through to 55, you can see promise after promise of what God is going to do. I've just picked out a few highlights. Isaiah 40, we see something of the greatness of God. Isaiah prophesies and says, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. With whom then will you compare God? Keep things in proportion, Isaiah is saying. In the face of great global events, remember the greater greatness of God. Compared with God, God weighs the nations. What's Assyria? What's Babylon? What's China? What's Russia? Like dust, which the Lord weighs in a bucket like a drop in a bucket, not even a full bucket, just a drop. I think one of the biggest challenges of our daily discipleship is having this real sense of the greatness of God, (laughs) because inevitably we tend to be very effective, consumed by the immediate things and the small things. The the fridge packs up, it's oh no, the fridge has packed up, it's the end of the world. And then we read what Isaiah says, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. The fridge packs up. 
electricity bill goes up, the car breaks down, kids need new shoes, all the stuff that kind of presses and weighs down on us. And we've got to have this kind of prophetic confidence of the greatness of God, the greatness of God. And we need to see that when we come to Jesus Christ, we're coming to this God. Who is Jesus? He is the great God who weighs the nations like a drop in a bucket. We see that we have hope for final vindication, Isaiah 41. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. Can you imagine life without any opposition? The reality is that we are engaged in a battle, Ephesians 6.12. We are in a fight, not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers. We do face opposition. There is a spiritual fight going on, but the promise is of complete victory. And this has already been set in motion by the cross of Christ. Jesus Christ, the true son of David, has defeated, disarmed the principalities and the powers by his death and his resurrection. And so we need to grasp hold again of this prophetic hope we have for final vindication when the day will come when we will say, where are all our enemies? Where is all that opposition? We can't see them. They've gone. They've disappeared. That is our hope in Christ. We have this promise is hope of a new creation. Isaiah 43, see I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Where there is now ruin, there will be life. And I believe this, this promise is, is multifaceted. It speaks certainly to spiritual barrenness, where there's spiritual barrenness, where there's brokenness of heart, poverty of spirits, the Lord will bring, bring restoration and plenty. I think I'm sure there's also an environmental dynamic to this where we see environmental degradation. God will restore it. There will be beauty instead. Where there's a wasteland, streams will come. Living water is going to be poured out. And think what Jesus offered us and promised us. Think about how Jesus said, if anybody's thirsty, come to me and drink. Think how he reached out to the broken woman he met at the well in Samaria and said, if you come and drink from me, you'll find water that never runs out. We already have this promise in part. Jesus says to us to come and drink from him, to come and drink the waters of living life. We have hope for all nations. Isaiah 49, see, I will beckon to the nations. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their hips. What a beautiful image. Last Sunday, we did have friends from around the world, from South Africa and the States, and Nepal and Uganda and Madagascar and Australia. And God's people will be gathered from the ends of the earth. They will come. They'll come bringing your sons in their arms and carrying your daughters on their hips. God will gather his people from the ends of the earth. And it's as the nations come to God that they will find peace. Kings will be humbled before the Lord. Just as the Assyrians were humbled in, Assyrian, in, in Hezekiah's day. Kings will be humbled before the Lord and we will rejoice. And, and even as we live in the context we do at the moment where we feel like a remnant, where we know we're very much in the minority, we mustn't lose sight of the fact that actually Christianity is the most extraordinary global phenomenon. There is 
No other organization, movement, entity which covers the globe in the way the Christian faith does. The way that Christianity has penetrated to every corner of the earth. And God is the hope for all nations and he will gather his people from every nation. We see in Isaiah's prophecy this promise of joy. Isaiah 51, those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is a promise for the end of exile. The the captives will return from Babylon to Judah. But it's also a much bigger promise and picture than just that. Much greater than the return from Babylon. The picture is that the destination for God's people is a place of joy. Now, right now, we get to taste something of heavenly joy in the presence of the Holy Spirit as we gather as his people. I think we've tasted something of that the last couple of weeks as we, so many of us were here last Sunday night. There was that sense of joy as God's people came together in God's presence. Now, everlasting joy is our destiny. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. Joy will be ours. And so we are commissioned to proclaim Isaiah 52. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. We are commissioned to proclaim. You know, warfare, uh, worship is, is warfare. Worship is an act of mission. Worship always always makes a claim. In the end, it's about identity. You, the thing that you worship in some way identifies who you are. And, and, and what worship does, it invites others to join in or it warns them to keep away. It's an act of warfare. Think about football fans. Think about yesterday as Chelsea and Liverpool battled it out and opposing sets of fans sang their war songs. What they are doing there is proclaiming the superiority of one team over another. They're inviting others to join them and they're warning those who would oppose them. That's what worship is. Or think about a lover praising their beloved. There's a, a, a calling of attention to the thing which is loved, to the one whom is loved, and also a, a call to exclusivity. This is the one I love, the rest, rest of you keep away. And as we worship as we proclaim Christ, we are identifying ourselves as his people. We are proclaiming the king. The song we started our time with this morning, let praise be a weapon that silences the enemy. Let praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety. We sing your name in the dark and it changes everything. Worship is warfare, proclaiming the king. And we are commissioned to proclaim to the nations all that Christ has done. To say to the nations, come and see, come and join in, come and worship the true king. And the amazing thing, where this series of prophecies Isaiah gives climaxes, is with the promise that all this will be accomplished by the suffering servant. In Hezekiah's reign, the nation of Judah was facing a mighty enemy, the, the Assyrians. And we're looking for military deliverance. But what Isaiah sees is that final deliverance is not going to come through military conquest. Final deliverance is is going to come by the suffering of the servants. That the conqueror will himself actually appear to be conquered. 
Isaiah 53. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. How are all these promises going to be fulfilled? They'll be fulfilled by the servants, the Savior, suffering, carrying our iniquities, and bringing his people into rescue. Now, Jesus clearly understood himself to be the fulfillment of this prophecy. Mark 8, Jesus was speaking and says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Under Hezekiah, the nation of Judah faced the reality of death, but also the hope of resurrection going to enter death. Babylonians are coming. They will be raised again as they return to their land from exile. But the greater death and resurrection was that of David's true son, Jesus. And it's in his death and resurrection that Jesus has set into motion, set in train all the things that Isaiah saw. And this means that now in Christ, we are able to see the greatness of God. And we find hope for final vindication and we anticipate the new creation God is going to make and we are being gathered from the nations and we do taste joy and we are called to go and proclaim to the nations the good news of Jesus Christ. These are promises for us and we're called to play our part in their fulfillment. So we, we need to lay hold of what's been spoken in the past. We need to lay hold of what God revealed to Isaiah in order to have that help us propel us into the future that God is calling us to. And so what is it that we need to see afresh from this story? What do we need to see afresh from this encounter between Isaiah and Hezekiah and the words that the Lord revealed to Isaiah? What, what rooting and fruiting do we need to do in this next season of our ministry as a church here in BCP? Over the past couple of weeks, we've, we've had five prophetic Ps, and it's always great when you have Ps Preachers like peas, and it's nice that they alliterate. We've had five prophetic P's which have been brought to us by Ryan and Ben. Prepare, port, pregnancy, pursuits, and the poor. Uh, a couple of weeks back, Ryan met with our leadership team, and he, he asked us a question, a kind of prophetic question. Are we preparing a building for the people or preparing a people for the mission the building will facilitate? Are we preparing a building for the people or preparing a people for the mission the building will facilitate? We're building a great new building up at Alder Road. And it will be amazing to be in a building which doesn't leak when it rains. And in which we're not embarrassed to have visitors come in with their kids and have to enter into what were pretty disgusting facilities. It would be great to have a kitchen which is actually adequate for the stuff that we want to do. All that stuff is going to be amazing. But we know it's not just about having better facilities. The point is, what are we being prepared for as a people in terms of the mission that God is calling us to? And of course, it's not just about Alder Road. We also need to work hard on preparing the congregation here at 502, those who are going to remain here and be part of God's calling here. Congregation on two hills, living waters flowing between. So over this next six months before the building Alder Road opens, we have a lot of preparing work to do in preparing us as a church 
for how we move into the mission which God is calling us to. I have this picture of the port. What does the port represent? Pearl Harbor, what does that represent? Safe passage, the unsaved coming in. This is a fresh prophetic impetus for us, for us to see more people coming in, entering the safe harbor, the port of God's presence and blessing. It's a picture of pregnancy and an open womb. There's to be a kind of rebirth of the church as we go through this season. Also a rebirth of individuals. And that is meant to increase our joy. New birth results in increased joy. We're to have an expectancy of pregnancy, open wombs, increased joy. We're being called prophetically to a, a fresh pursuit of Jesus. Looking for him to be glorified, magnified in our day. Looking for the south coast to be lit up with the goodness of the gospel. And we're being called in a fresh way to serve the poor, the poor in spirit, the poor materially, the downcast who need a savior, and actually the nation, which, although rich in many ways, is poor in so many ways. But we're called again prophetically to speak the good news of the suffering servants who came to bear our iniquities and carry us into life. And so over these past couple of weeks, we've had this prophetic impetus, fresh prophetic impetus about how we're to root and how we're to fruit, that we're to lean into these things and expect more of God at this time. It's a work of preparation that needs to be done. We're looking for living waters to be poured out. We are looking to be a gateway to the kingdom of God in this place. We're looking for God to do more amongst us. Lord God, would you do it? I want to respond to this this evening, especially by Again, this evening, pushing into the prophetic and, and allowing God to stir us. But my prayer for us would be that we as a community, as a people, do, don't miss this moment. These, these have been a special two weeks. We don't miss this moment, that we uh, allow this fresh prophetic breath amongst us to capture our hearts and propel us into what God has for us. Let's, let's, in this time, let's get our roots deeper down and expect God to make us increasingly fruitful for his glory and witness to the world. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for what you have spoken to us, or thank you for what you speak through this story of Hezekiah and Isaiah. Thank you for those uh, prophecies, of, prophecies of Isaiah, which we see already being fulfilled in Christ, in our experience, but which we anticipate in, in such great a measure at the end of the ages. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to lay hold of these ancient words and of the things which you've spoken to us just in the last few days, and uh, yeah, to... to, to to really respond, to trim our sails, to catch the breath of the Spirit as you are breathing on us again and calling us to fresh faith in you, new adventures of faith. So Jesus, let us be obedient to you as a people. Let us, let us be a people who are preparing for the work you're doing amongst us and are expectant that you will bless, pour out favor and grace, that you will keep us and rescue us, and that through us, the proclamation of the goodness and greatness of Jesus Christ might ring loud, clear, and true. In your name we ask it, Lord Jesus. Amen.